0: Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I'm glad you guys are joining us this morning. If uh, if you are a mother or have a mother, uh, which I think includes all of us, I hope that you have a uh, great Mother's Day. Obviously, as a lot of things have been this spring, it's not normal. It's weird and uncomfortable and irregular from what we're used to. Uh, but I hope this, mo- this day that you'll take a moment and and uh, and thank someone, whether it's a biological mother, uh, or grandmother, or someone who's invested in you uh, to say thank you. And and it, and if your mother or those people of influence have passed on, I hope that you'll just take a moment today and, and uh, uh, just say a little prayer of gratitude for the impact that they've had on your life, because they still continue to live uh, at, through you as they've impacted you. And uh, we are in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Matthew 11. Now, normally today on Mother's Day, we would be having a conversation about adoption, foster care, and child sponsorship. And uh, we're, not, we're not canceling those types of things, but we are postponing in the midst of all the chaos and, and uncertainty of what's going on. Um, we are We're going to wait to figure out... It, how we can best serve, um, and continue to serve in that season. As some of you are part of, we've been doing this thing with every child called an anchor point where we've been trying to help facilitate getting needs to families who are fostering children. Um, but like CMF, who we do our child sponsorship through, they've actually suspended taking on a new child sponsorships because their schools are closed as well. And, um, uh, and so we're just going to wait and see how we can best support in a really meaningful and impactful way. Um, so just know that we're not just skipping. We're just postponing for now. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're joining us. Uh, We may not, now that we've been doing this for, I think this is week eight of fully online, we may not have ever actually even met or been in the same room, but I'm glad that you are a part of uh, this church, and I hope that this morning will be an encouragement to you and maybe challenge you in your faith. Maybe maybe, maybe you're going to see, maybe challenge you a little bit more than encourage you today. But either way, uh, Matthew 11. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 11. If you've got another device, you can go to the Bible app. Um, you can go to myamcesa.info, and uh, there's a spot where you can click sermon notes and all the passages will be there, and, and it'll be up here on the screen with us as well. So let me read it to you, the verses we're going to look at today. Six verses. It says this When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, uh, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Okay, let's just pause there for a second just so we know who we're talking about, right? Jesus. Uh, comes, and John, it says, sends his disciples. Now, you may know if you've picked up a Bible before, spent much time in church, that there are four Gospels in the Bible. We call them Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, And John wrote one of the Gospels. This is not the same John. There's a John who's the disciple of Jesus, and then there's John the Baptist, right? And it's not a denominational affiliation. It's to say that John was the baptizer, that he baptized people. That's what he's known for, right? That's what they nicknamed him, John the Baptist. He's a guy that scripture foretold would come before the Messiah. And, And he quoted things talking about that he was there to prepare the way, that he wasn't the Messiah, that he wasn't the one that everyone had waited for, but he was the one to prepare the way. And in fact, Jesus gets baptized, like all of us as followers of Jesus should do. Even Jesus, the son of God, gets baptized. He gets baptized at the hand of John the Baptist, right? And so now John, who has his disciples, right? Uh, John sends words. and then, Now, it might seem odd that John wouldn't just come to Jesus and ask these questions. But something else that you have to know about John is at this point in time, John's actually imprisoned, We're going to talk a little bit later why about the story. But John can't come to Jesus because he's in prison. And so he sends a message to his disciples. Uh, And here, here in this, a little bit of desperation. Because at this point, John's life hasn't turned out the way that he imagined it would. Maybe today you have a little bit of sense of desperation that your life doesn't exactly look like the way you imagined it would. Verse 3 says this, And said to him, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Now that's a weird question, isn't it? This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who said not too long ago, maybe a couple years before, but not too long ago, he stood on the shores of the river and said, look behold the lamb of god who comes to forgive the sins of the world right that that's the messiah that's the guy that's the guy when people come and ask him are you the messiah that we'd hope for he says no 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 i'm just the one who's come to prepare the way to make the path straight and now not too long later this guy john the baptist stood on the, sh- on, on the beach shores and, and ate bugs and, and, and lived this very devoted life of faithfulness, this guy finds himself in prison and he sends a message to Jesus to say, are you the one we hoped for? Are you actually the one? Are you actually the, the savior of the world or, or should we be looking for someone else? A man but John's story does not ask those words if there is not some amount of doubt and fear and uncertainty. And even John the Baptist, right? Jesus says of him, he says, there's no man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist, who when Jesus was baptized, he immersed him under the water and pulled him back up. And it says that a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That man who had such incredible experiences with the sovereignty of God and the power of God and the grace of God. And God moved in incredible ways in his life. He comes to a point in his life where his life didn't look like he imagined it would. Imprisoned. And even that guy sends word to Jesus. Are you really are you really the savior of the world? Are, are you really God? Are, are you really our hope? Are you really going to do anything about this broken and painful and destroyed and dark world? Are you really who you say you are? maybe maybe in this season or in seasons past you've asked the same question that John has. I can assure you this if you haven't yet, there'll be a day when you do. <laughs> I, I used to do college ministry and and if you're a college student, man, we love you. So glad you're part of this church. Um, but college students still have a sense that we, we all had in college and junior high and high school of invincibility. And I used to always tell college students, I'm like, man, if life hasn't been difficult for you yet, just wait. It's coming. <laughs> right. Gift of encouragement. That's what I have. Jesus answered. Now look, that's an important word right there, those two words, Jesus answered, because what we're going to see is, we're going to struggle to see an answer to what Jesus says, but Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, wait a second, Jesus, Jesus, John asks this question, are you the one who is to come? And just as Jesus seems to always do, he responds in what we see as a poetic, veiled response. But it's only because we're 20 centuries away. It's only because we're not Jewish in the first century that we think that Jesus somehow uh, skirted around the issue. Uh, I could say this isn't what the sermon's about, but I can tell you this, that um, it, Anybody who says that Jesus didn't claim to be God or claim to be the Savior of the world um, simply hasn't studied the text enough. Because it's like every other chapter, Jesus declares through his words and through his actions, I am the Savior that was prophesied through, through, uh, through the Jewish nation, that I am the God incarnate over and over again. And he does right here, but, but we don't see it, right? Are you the one who is to come? Well, t- well tell them what you see. Blind receive sight. Lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached them, and we might go, Wait, Jesus, Jesus, it's a simple yes or no answer, right? It's a simple yes or no answer, Jesus, and he does, we just can't see it. Here's why. If we were in the book of Luke, it might be easier to see this, because in Luke 7, it tells the same story. Almost verbatim, we can talk about why synoptic gospels and all that kind of stuff, but Almost tells it verbatim, tells the same story, same response. Now, what it includes in Luke is Luke 4. And in Luke 4, there's the story about Jesus going into a synagogue, and he pulls out a scroll, and he stands as uh, as part of their custom that um, anybody could read from the scrolls, and he reads from the scrolls. Any male of a certain age could read from the scrolls. And he reads from the scrolls, and they would read the text, and then they would teach on it. They would share Um, uh, what they'd been told or what they'd been taught. And so Jesus opens the scroll and he reads a text. And you may know the story. He says, um, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing today. Now, Luke 4, it says this. Let's look look at Luke 4 because Luke 4, uh, John would have known. John's disciples would have known. Jesus would have known. Jesus' disciples. Matthew's audience, right? The reason Matthew doesn't have to include Luke 4 is because Matthew is a, you remember this? remember this? Matthew is a, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, I know you're in your living room and it feels a little weird to do this on your own, but um, the Lord sees you in all places. And so you, you better not, you better not leave me hanging. Okay. So the answer is a Jew. Matthew's a Jew. Okay. So here we go. You ready? Matthew is a, yeah. Those of you who are silent, the Lord knows. Anyways, and he was writing to a bunch of Jews, right? He was, he was a Jew writing a bunch of Jews. So they knew this prophecy, but Luke writes to a different audience, so he includes it so that we don't miss it when we get to Luke 7, or in our case, when we get to Matthew 11. This is what it says. This is what Jesus reads. The Spirit is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Does this sound a little familiar? He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery sight. For the blind, does this look familiar? To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, throughout the book of Isaiah, there's a bunch of prophecies that tell us what the Messiah is going to look like. A lot of things. You know, that's where we get the virgin birth, that that he'd be born of a virgin. That this woman who is a virgin, she'll be with child, right? And you should call him Emmanuel, Lord with us, God with us, right? That's where we get that that prophecy from. And Isaiah lists out all these things that, that the Messiah will do. And this is one of those sections It comes from Isaiah 60 or 62. And it says... These are some of the characteristics of what the Messiah will do. Now, here's the thing, though. Look at this passage, okay? And I'm going to read, hopefully you guys can read this, but I'm going to read to you again Jesus' response. And I want you to notice there's something in this passage that's not in this passage. So it says this. Go and report to John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Did you see it? It comes right in here early. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You see, John sends word to his disciples To say, Jesus, like this didn't turn out the way I thought it would. That if you are the Messiah, that if you are the sovereign king of all, if all things were made through you and for you, then why am I in prison? And Jesus says, you go tell us, you go tell him. You go tell him everything that he sees. And he purposely leaves out this proclamation that we see in the prophecy in Isaiah. That he'll set the captives free. Because you see, Jesus is answering John, he's saying this, he says, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I am the one who was expected, the one you hoped for, the one you gave your life for, the one you sacrificed and served, I am the one, but you're going to die in prison. You, you see, um. It, he, here's the deal, sometimes following Jesus turns out badly, you know that? Sometimes following Jesus doesn't turn out like we'd hoped imagined envisioned or believed it would. Sometimes following Jesus Jesus says you remember Jesus says that there's no man greater born of a woman than John the Baptist. And you know how life how John the Baptist's life comes after faithfully serving his God with every moment with every day of his life, you know how it ends? He gets beheaded. Because a perverted and twisted man is seduced by his niece. Think about about that for a moment. A perverted, wicked, distorted, gross man has his niece come to a party and seduces him. And in exchange for that, he offers her anything. And she asks for John the Baptist's head because of some of the grossest, darkest expressions of humanity, one of the most faithful man the world has ever seen has his head served literally on a platter to a broken and busted woman. Sometimes, sometimes following Jesus just turns out bad. We see it all through scripture. There's this passage in Hebrews. Uh, we often call it the hall of faith, kind of like the hall of fame, right? It's the hall of faith. And, and the, the beginning of Hebrews 11 lists out all these people, and it talks about their faith, and by faith they did this, and by faith they did this, and by faith they did this, and all these like awesome, amazing things that God did, that they were faithful to God, and they followed him, and, and God was faithful and followed through, in these incredible, awesome things. And, and then we come to the middle of it, And it makes this uncomfortable shift. So so here's here's the the end of it, right? Hebrews 11, it says this. And what more shall I say, right? He's lifted off for the first 31 verses. He lifts off all these people. For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, right? To say, look at their faithfulness and all the great things that God did through them. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, Performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Like, don't we want this? Like when we're preaching, man, when we're preaching and we're talking about, we're studying the Bible and we're looking at like Daniel in the lion's den, right? Shutting the mouths of lions, And we want to pray that we'd shut the mouths of lions and darkness and destruction. And, And then it goes on, right? Who quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. Became mighty in war, put armies to flight. I mean, what dude does not want that, right? Faithfulness to God put armies to flight. This is the story of so many people throughout the history of following God put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and then it turns, and then it turns, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Follow Jesus, you'll get sawn in two. Right? Not a, not a great sales pitch. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. and We're just reading about that. They went about in sheepskins and goat skins, being destitute and afflicted, ill treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Sometimes, sometimes following Jesus ends badly. And all these all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. The end result of their life, putting armies to flight or being stoned and executed was no measure of their faithfulness. It's interesting to note in the middle of the whole thing about bad, negative things that it says, um, men with which the world was not worthy. It doesn't say that of the, of the things that were awesome and amazing and putting armies to flight and, and shutting the mouths of lions. It says that in the middle of those who endured some of the worst that this world could offer them. You see, there's, there's a half of this chapter, Hebrews 11, that we love. Man, God, you do that. Move mountains. Move mountains. Bring people back to part C's. You can do anything. We love that part. But following God doesn't always turn out that way. And the Bible's never proposed that it did. In fact, another really well-known passage is Philippians 3, verse 10. It says this, I want to know Christ. Yes. Right? Right? Okay, so now we're going to look at this in just a second. I want to know Christ. Uh, uh, Paul, who writes the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi, he tells us that there's two ways that we're going to know Christ, that intertwined between these two experiences, we're going to grow in our knowledge and and our knowing, our intimacy with Christ. Okay, look, look at what it says. To know the power of his resurrection. Amen. Right? Yes and amen. Power of bringing dead things to life. Dead things in my soul. Darkness in my soul. You bring those. That's amazing, right? But then it says... And participating in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And somehow, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, following Jesus looks like both of these things. Seeing the power of his resurrection and participating in his suffering. Jesus, at one point, he says, he says look, look, look at how they've treated me. Look, look at how they've treated your master. You think that the world's going to treat you better? They've rejected me? You think they're going to treat you better as followers of me? See, one of the great temptations of the world we live in and, and, uh, uh, and, and the nation and the time that we live in, one of the great temptations is to pursue comfort, stability, safety, security, a perception that we have some amount of control. But but here's the deal. Your pursuit of comfort or your aversion to pain will smother your faith. Your pursuit of comfort or your aversion to pain will smother your faith and the ability of the power of God to move through you. Faithful men and women of God, saw God do amazing, incredible things, but they also went through incredible hardship and it did not change their faithfulness and it did not change the goodness of God. I saw a meme this week and it made me remember, uh, you guys can just read it here. (laughs) Sometimes, I hope you can read it, I'll read it for you just in case. I had the most loving wife, last night I woke up while she was holding a pillow over my face to protect me from the virus. Sometimes, sometimes we have made our comfort and our version of pain like a pillow over our mouth to avoid being inconvenienced or uncomfortable or experiencing pain or heartache and it is smothering our souls, smothering our souls. Sometimes, sometimes following Jesus ends badly. You remember there's a story. It comes in um, uh, 2 Samuel, I think. Yeah, Second Samuel. And it comes as the greatest failure of the greatest king of Israel. Right? A, a man who the Bible says um, is a man after God's own heart. A man who penned many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible a man who was a, a symbol of what the Messiah would be, this King David. And his greatest failure came on the night, on the day that he pursued his comfort when he abjugated his position in leadership to pursue comfort in his own home. You remember this? It says this, Second Samuel 11. In the springtime, a time when kings go off to war. So just pause there, okay? Don't read any further, okay? <laughs> I don't know how to make you not read any further. Um, when kings go off to war, okay? So we're talking about King David. When they go off to war, this is what they do. This is their responsibility. This is their job. This is what kings do in this day. David, who is king, so we can put, when kings go off to war, King David sent Joab out with the king's men, and the whole Israelite army. When kings go off to war, David sent Joab, his general, off with David's specific elite, think the marines of ancient Israel, right? And the whole of the Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Before David's greatest failure came his pursuit of comfort over obedience. He abdicated his role and his responsibility for the comfort of his kingdom, for the comfort of his home. And that night, he stood out on his balcony and he saw Bathsheba. A decision that began with the pursuit of his comfort and aversion to pain and discomfort caused such great heartache to him and his nation and to so many others. Our aversion to pain and our pursuit of comfort will smother our faith. Matthew 16, 26, it says this, For what will a man profit well, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man gain? What will man give in exchange for his soul? A lot of times when we read this passage, we think of um, like um, unrighteous excesses of pointless wealth, right? But many of us are in the pursuit of exchanging our soul for the things the world offers in comfort and security and stability and control and safety and an aversion to discomfort and aversion to pain. You see, I would go so far as to venture that if at some point following Jesus hasn't been uncomfortable, that at some point following Jesus hasn't been a sacrifice or painful, that you're probably not actually following Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who said, that the son of man has no home. He has no place to lay his head. Jesus is the one who said that you have to pick up your cross, the instrument of torture, the instrument of pain, the symbol of death. You have to pick that up and carry it. He said that you have to deny yourself. He said that if you will not reject mother and father, you're not worthy of me. This is the things that Jesus said to us. Because you see, sometimes following Jesus is difficult Painful, and sometimes it even ends badly. Sometimes it ends badly. Following Jesus is hard. And my fear is that for many of us, for many of us in the church in America, we become lazy and lax and spiritually obese, spiritually constipated, spiritually dead because we provide, we've prioritized our own comfort over pursuit of Jesus. So my question to you today is what is it? What is it for you? What is it for you that like a pillow over your mouth is smothering your faith because you love that, you, you prefer that thing, you are unwilling to let go of this, this thing, this idol what is it for you? That you've been unwilling to follow God because it's painful or scary or difficult or hard. What is it for you? You see, the hope we have of the gospel is not, is not that life will be easy, that life will be fixed, that life will be better. The hope of the gospel we have, we, we see actually in, Psalm, in the 23rd Psalm. It says this in verse 4. It's as though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Like that's a bad place. That's a place where following God as he's led you, right? Because at the beginning, he says he's a good shepherd and he leads you, right? He's led you to this valley of the shadow of death of pain and darkness. That's not a good place. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're in a place that just feels dark and pressing in and hopeless, Right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. The hope of the gospel is not that life will be easy, that life will be better, that life will be pain-free. But the hope of the gospel is that we get the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand, that we get to call him father, that we get to believe and live out of the truth that it says that if he gave us his own son, what more would he not give for us? If God gave you his own son, he is calling you to things that are good and beautiful that may be painful and uncomfortable. So my question to you today is what is it? What is Jesus calling you to? to take a step of faith out into the unknown, into the uncomfortable, into things that you're afraid of, to follow him in obedience. Because at the end of the road and on the road as you walk, the gift you get is the presence of a sovereign and good and graceful father who wants to bring life and hope into the dead things in your life.